continue our studies of Noah. And uh, this morning we're reading in Genesis chapter 7. And we start reading at verse 15. Genesis 7, verse 15. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in, went in, male and female, of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased, and bare up the ark, and it was lifted up above the earth. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle, and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life, of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things, and the fowl of the heaven, and they that were and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, they and all that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. So we're going again to look at this passage which we have just read. We're still on the thoughts of Noah. And Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Last week we looked at, uh, for a moment, at the situation when Noah and his people, his family, went into the ark we saw that the people outside, what about them? As the waters perhaps began to rise and it began to rain, I'm sure they, they cast an anxious eye on this great, huge ship that was there and that Noah had gone into with his family. We read that God, the Lord, shut him in. The Lord shut him in, or as one translation said, the Lord closed the door behind him. And the hand of God which shut Noah in was the hand of God that shut the other people out. Noah was shut in by God. The former, the people, Noah and his family were effectively, effectively saved people outside they were lost irrecoverably lost they had been busy the people outside doing their own things we saw that that it said they did eat in Luke Jesus said they did eat they drank they married wives they were given in marriage all doing things which occupied them quite legitimately in many cases, until, it says, until 
the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Very solemn this. God had spoken through his servant Noah for 120 years at least because he was a righteous man preaching righteousness when God picked him out for this very specific task. And God's spirit, it said, had striven with the people in those days. He said, but he said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. But the people had refused to listen. Noah had spoke of judgment, but they would not believe. Noah had spoken of sin and ruin that was coming, but they were not convinced. Noah had spoken of a way of escape. But they did not heed. People acted as if things were going to be the same uh, forever. But that word until, until that day when the judgment came. You know, for 120 years, we said, poor old Noah must have stood some abuse and some ridicule. You can imagine. Any sign of the judgment yet, Noah? Oh, God must have forgotten. He must have got it wrong. Things aren't going to be as bad as you say they're going to be. You know, in Peter's time, when Peter wrote the epistle, he said... It's going to be like that again. And this is, he said, here's what he said in 2 Peter 3 verse 4. He said, people are saying, where is the promise of his coming? Oh yes, Jesus said he was going to come back and take the, those who love him to be with himself. And Peter says, people are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they were from the beginning of time. They were saying exactly the same thing in Peter's day as people say nowadays. Where is the promise of his coming? It's 2,000 years since Jesus was here on earth. He said he was going to come back. He hasn't come. It's no different. Man is carrying on making his life comfortable for himself. And, you know, as we listen to the radio and to the television, we see that people are saying many diseases will be cancelled out. We will produce new cures for all these diseases. Man is going to live longer. Sadly, a lot of this is riding on the, 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 the back of cell stem technology, which is all resulting from abortions and things like that. The technology comes from that and we if we keep on preaching and saying these things that the Lord is going to come and that the earth is going to be judged we're treated as prophets of doom prophets of doom the story of Ahab I was thinking about this last night the story of Ahab the king and he and Jehoshaphat the king of Judah and the king of Israel joined together to try and get rid of the Syrians. The Syrians had been a thorn in their flesh and Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, join with me and we will go and we will clear the Syrians from our land. 
And Jehoshaphat was a godly man, but Ahab wasn't. And Jehoshaphat said, let's get the word of the Lord in this situation. And he had 400 prophets. Ahab had 400 false prophets. And they said, yes, everything's going to be fine. Go and attack the Syrians. You're going to defeat them. But Jehoshaphat wasn't satisfied. And he said, is there not a, a prophet of the Lord? And there was a man called Micaiah. And Ahab, oh, don't, don't bring that man in here. Why? He only prophesies doom and gloom about me. He never says anything nice about me. And of course they got him in. And while, the, while he was coming, the other, somebody said, all the other prophets have said that everything's going to be fine. What are you going to say? You better sort your story out. But he spoke the word of the Lord and he said they were going to be defeated. And Ahab was going to be killed. He was a prophet of doom, but he was preaching the word of the Lord. And we will, if we tell people, not what they would like to hear, but what God says, we won't be popular. We must warn people of coming judgment. Prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, it says in the Bible. And you see, that, that text has been ridiculed. Uh, you know, fellows with gloom and doom and holding a poster, prepare to meet thy God. But you know, we do have to prepare to meet our God. People today are self-centered. And there was a verse in Isaiah, which I discovered last night. Isaiah 56. And I thought this was so relevant to our story and all the rest of it. 56 and verse 11 and 12. Israel's leaders are condemned, it says. And here's what they were saying. Yea, it says, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be just like today. And much more abundant. That was their attitude. And that's the attitude of so many people today. Everything's fine. And tomorrow's going to be even better. Said they are self-centered. And everyone is for himself. And tomorrow's going to be even better. And that's the way people look on life. Don't look at the reality of what scripture says. It's like the parable that Jesus told about the rich man. The farmer who had an abundant harvest. And he, he, he had this wonderful harvest. And his attitude was let's build bigger barns and we'll get all this stuff in. And let's sit back and enjoy ourselves. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said in that parable, thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. He wasn't looking into the real future. He was living from day to day. And the next chapter in Isaiah 57. It, it, it shows another side of these people. The righteous perishes and no man laid it to heart. These people they could see the righteous suffering. And nobody worried. 
Nobody worried. But then, in verse 3 it says, But draw near hither, ye sons of the sorceress, and the seed of the adulterer and the whore, against whom do ye sport yourselves? These people were jeering and sporting themselves with the righteous, at the expense of the righteous. And God spoke judgment to them. In Revelation chapter 11 and verse 10, we have the, the picture of the two witnesses that were going out on the streets. And people think they're either going to be uh, Elijah and Enoch. But in any case, these two witnesses are eventually killed in, in, uh, in Revelation. And it says in Revelation 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. And make merry and shall sell gifts, send gifts to one another. Because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. These two men spoke the word of the Lord. And when they were killed, people rejoiced. You won't be popular if you tell people that judgment is coming. And that's the way it's going to be. So be prepared for problems, for rejection, and for ridicule. It's all very solemn, but we need to preach the word of the Lord, as it is shown in Scripture. But let's get back to Noah, Genesis chapter 7. Verses 17 to 22, we saw what happened. The rains came, the floods came. They increased for 40 days or so. The rains came. And then things got even worse. It would appear. Underground eruptions of water. Probably brought about through uh, volcanic eruptions underneath. And this massive amount of water which was poured out on the world. The, the minimum height was about 45 feet upwards. Everything was covered. And through this, a universal deluge, and it brought, what did it bring? It brought death. Noah and his family were the only ones who were saved. Unbelievable, you say. But Jesus believed it. Jesus believed it, and that's good enough for me all a bit dramatic you know I have a book here with me this morning you none, not many of you will ever heard of a man called Emanuel Velikovsky he was a Russian Jew he was born in 1895 studied at the universities of Moscow Berlin Vienna and Edinburgh and from 1921 to 24 he edited a, a, a publication with Albert Einstein from which the Hebrew University of Jerusalem was to grow and he, he eventually moved to New Jersey and by now I'm sure he's, he's dead you know strangely enough you might not have heard of him if the Roman Catholic Church had had their way because they put great obstacles in the way of publishing his books. He's not a Christian. I believe he might have even been an atheist. I'm not sure. But he was one who wrote his opinion about what had happened in history. And he, he, he's very interesting books about uh, 
parallels to the history of how the plagues came about in Egypt and all the rest of it with the, the history of the children of Israel. Macmillan were his publishers and they were going to publish his books but pressure was put on them not to publish it. Particularly one fellow called Harlow Shapley and he was a, scient a scientist of great eminence throughout the world and he ridiculed these books and Macmillan were not allowed to publish them and they passed it over to a firm called Doubleday who eventually published the books it was interesting that Shapley was given the doctorate of divinity and he was given the Pope Pius XI prize which were amazing accolades to give an astronomer but it was pure, presumably for his following instructions from the Jesuits. But that's the book. This is one of his books, in any case, that Velikovsky wrote. And he has some amazing uh, facts within the books. And I'm going to read just a couple of little things. Now, he's not a Christian writer. Be assured of that. But certain things he says are very opposite to what we're talking about. He says, In Earth and Upheaval is a book about the great tribulations to which the planet on which we travel was subjected in prehistorical and historical times. The pages of this book are transcripts of the testimony of mute witnesses, the rocks, in the court of celestial traffic. And he goes on to say, Many, There are myriads of living creatures came to life on this ball of rock suspended in nothing and returned to dust. Many died a natural death. Many were killed in wars between races and species. And many were entombed alive during great paroxysms of nature in which land and sea contested in destruction. The earth and the water without which we cannot exist suddenly turned into enemies and engulfed the animal kingdom, the human race included. And there was no shelter and no refuge. In such cataclysms, the land and sea repeatedly changed places, laying dry the kingdom of the ocean and submerging the kingdoms of the land. And in his previous book, which was Worlds in Collision, he says, I close that description uh, with an attempt to, to promise to attempt at a later date the, rec the reconstruction of similar global, global catastrophes of earlier times, one of them being the deluge. Isn't that interesting? Now this guy, he, he, he has some strange ideas, but he has a chapter here on erratic boulders. And I think it's worth reading these bits and pieces just uh, to give us an idea of what other people say about the flood. The waters of the ocean in which our mountains had been formed still covered a part of these Alps. When a violent paroxysm of the globe suddenly opened great cavities and ruptured many rocks. The waters were carried forward towards these abysses with extreme violence, falling from the height they were before. They crossed deep valleys and dragged immense quantities of earth, sand and debris of all kinds of rocks. This mass shoved along by the onrush of great waters was left spread up the slopes where we see many scattered fragments. And that was a quotation from a man called Horace Benedict de Saussure, 
a Swiss naturalist. And he's saying that these rocks were taken and broken off the, the bits of the mountains and carried along by a force of water. Just exactly what we're talking about in this massive disruption which happened during the flood. The, the, these rocks were brought along and deposited in areas where the, the rocks that were deposited didn't look like the rocks in the area where they were. They're called erratic rocks. And these are massive in size. The only way they could have been carried across was by water. Let me tell you the size of some of these. The loose rocks lying in the Jura Mountains were torn from the Alps. In their mineral composition, they differ from the rock formations of the Jura Mountains, showing their alpine origin. Rocks that differ from the formations on which they lie are called erratic boulders. Now these weren't pebbles. These weren't just little uh, rocks the size of the table or something. Well, let's say the size of some of these. Some erratics are enormous. The block near Conway in New Hampshire is 90 by 40 by 38 feet. That's small, but... Here's one in uh, the Great Flat Erratic in Warren County, Ohio, weighs approximately 13,500 tons and covers three quarters of an acre. The Autotox Erratic, 30 miles from Cal south of Calgary, Alberta consists of two pieces of quartzite derived from at least 50 miles to the west. It was carried 50 miles, this, by water. It's calculated to be 18,000 tons. Blocks of 250 to 300 feet in circumference, however, are small when compared with other ones that are even bigger than that. And these were, the only way these could have been transported was by some kind of Massive water deluge. Then he goes on to, to, to say things about something else. He says that in caves they have found animal bones of all different breeds of animals together in the one cave. In Cumberland in Maryland in 1912, workmen uh, were cutting a railway cutting and they discovered this great fissure in the rocks. A peculiar assemblage of animals. Many of the species are comfortable to forms now living in the vicinity of the cave, but others are distinctly northern and other parts they come. They're all together. You were getting amazing con glamoration of animals the bones of the Cumberland cavern were for the most part broken but there was no sign of being water worn they hadn't been in the water for years and years they had been broken by some massive disturbance and they were deposited in the cavern. It happened that animals in the northern region, wolverine and lemming and long-tailed shrew, mink, red squirrel, 
muskat, porcupine, hare and elk were heaped together with animals suggesting warmer climatic conditions, crocodile and tapir. And what it was, he claims, all these animals were washed together and were deposited in caves and in cracks in the earth. They were broken by the force of the water. Read enough, there are more things I could read there. But it's interesting that this man has these ideas and theories that because of some great deluge, these animals were washed together backwards and forwards throughout the, 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 the earth and they were, their bones were broken by the force of what was happening and they were deposited together in various caves and places throughout the earth. Our old civilization, the old civilization before the flood, the antediluvian civilization was being destroyed by God. And the only ones that were saved from that were those inside the ark. It's an amazing story. What was happening to the ark when all this was going on? What was happening? Remember, the ark, we said, is a picture of Christ. Where we will be saved. Those within the ark are saved from the storms and the floods outside. Those within Christ are saved from the judgment to come. Psalm 42 and verse 7, there's a verse that says, Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy waterspouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. The ark was buffeted by the floods and the billows all around it. At Calvary, at Calvary we see that Christ, all the waves and billows of God's judgment came upon him at Calvary. All God's billows and waves passed over the spotless Son of God when he hung upon the cross. And the great thing in that verse, it says, all gods, all gods, waves and billows. Not, not just part of them. He bore all of God's judgment for sin for mankind. All. In verse 11 it says, the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. All God's judgment was poured out in Christ. So therefore we can say like the songwriter, my sin not in part but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. O oh my soul. My sin not just part of my sin, all of my sin was laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. My sin not in part, but the whole are nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. The ark was buffeted on the outside. What about Noah on the inside? What about Noah? He was safe. 
He was safe. God had shut him in. <clears throat> what do we sing? I'm safe because I'm sheltered by Jesus' precious blood. We're sheltered by Jesus' blood. And what do we say? Remember the pitch that was put on the ark inside and outside is the same word that is used everywhere else in scripture for atonement. Nothing can for sin atone nothing but the blood of Jesus. Because Christ has died we don't have to suffer the punishment of God if we put our faith and trust in him. Noah was inside and the pitch inside and outside the ark was keeping the punishment on the outside from getting inside. I'm safe because I'm sheltered in Jesus' precious blood and I'm sure because he promised and he cannot break his word. He was safe inside the ark because the pitch was keeping the water out, the judgment out. The judgment was locked out and Noah was locked in. That's the great thing. He was locked in. He was safe inside. And then in verse, the second thing in verse 18, it says, And the waters increased upon the earth, and the ark went up on the face of the waters. The ark didn't, wasn't submerged. Didn't go under. It floated on the face of the waters. Noah floated in peace upon the very waters that were destroying the people on the outside. But Noah was raised above because he was locked in by God. And we, when the troubles of life come, we are secure in Christ. You know, the other thing was, by faith, no one knew that he was already assured of his place in glory. In, by faith. He knew he was safe. Because God had said, if you go in there, you're going to be safe. And he was assured of his place in glory someday. In the heavenlies. He was put beyond the reach of judgment. By his own efforts? No. No. He was put there by God. God had shut him in. He was safe in the ark. God had invited him. He said, come thou and thy household into the ark. And no one could separate him from the protection of the ark. He was locked in. Nobody could get in to, to damage him. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Same way. Who was going to separate Noah from the protection of God? Was persecution or tribulation going to affect him? No. 
because God had shut him in the ark. If we have put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall separate us from the love of God? In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature. Paul went through all the things he could think of that might separate us from the love of God. He said, I'm persuaded that none of those things shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord as Noah was safe in the ark so if you have accepted Christ as your saviour you're safe nothing can separate you from the love of God because he was righteous and walked in faith with God the just shall live by faith Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 3 and 4 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away. Noah could look forward to an inheritance with God. He was going to someday come out of that ark and he was in a new world. And he was sure of that because he had complete and utter faith in God. Peter ends that verse, he says, that inheritance that we have is reserved in heaven for you. There's a place up there in heaven reserved for me. It's not like the, the, the railway. If you go with a reserved seat, somebody might be sitting in your seat and you have problems getting your seat. No, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to fade. It's not going to be corrupted. It's reserved in heaven. I've got a reserved seat in heaven. Are you sure of your reserve seat in heaven? Have you got your name? We used to sing a song years ago. There's a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Praise God it's mine. And the white robed angels tell the story. A sinner has come home. For there's a new name written down in glory. There's a new name written up in heaven. And it's mine. And there's a reserved place for me in heaven make sure that you are in the ark that you are under the protection of the Lord Jesus Christ that your name is written in a place in heaven because to go on to verse 1 of chapter 8 first few words it says and God remembered Noah Oh, when God saves us, when we put our trust in Christ, He just doesn't leave us to float around the world on our own. God remembered Noah. God remembers you. 
And God remembers me. And Jesus said, Lo, I am with you always. He's with us day by day. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me I am his own. The voice I hear falling on mine ear, none other has ever known. He speaks to you as an individual. He loves you. The Son of God, Paul said, who loved me and gave himself for me. Although God loved the world, although the Lord Jesus Christ came and gave himself for the sins of the world, it's an individual thing. We must respond individually. God remembered Noah. It's a wonderful story. We'll get to the end of it some of these days. But next week we look at what happens when the flood begins to end. But until then, let us make sure that we, like the little song we used to sing, with Christ in the vessel, we can smile at the storm as we go sailing home.